Good morning, and praise the Lord. You might want to turn with me to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. I'm going to read a few scriptures, and then we're going to get into the Word. While you're turning there, and Linda, we're also going to do Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 as well. The message today is fear, credibility, and Jonah. This is part of the series that I've been doing uh, here on Sunday mornings from time to time. And uh, the series has been wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So this is part of that, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We're going to use Jonah as a reflection point for today's message. You know, right away you think, Jonah? How can you preach anything from Jonah? Well, here we go. Fear, credibility, and lessons from Jonah. Uh, Linda, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, but that's okay. Just go ahead and put up King James. Wonderful. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, that's modern-day Tel Aviv, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, after paying the fare, He went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And we're not going to read any further there because I think any of you have ever been to Sunday school, you've heard the story of Jonah. But let's turn to chapter 4 and look at verses 1 and 2. This is after events happened in Nineveh. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry because the Lord had not destroyed Nineveh. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said to you when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So we look at Jonah and we think, wow, Jonah, you confuse us. You know God. You know how powerful he is. You are a prophet of God. And yet you end up with this, this story. I, I just, you know, I often say I'm going to be excited to get to heaven and meet some people. And I, I hope Joan is there. But I have some questions for him. Joan, why in the world did you do what you did? Well, we're going to try to find out today as we talk about fear, credibility, And lessons from Jonah. We're going to talk about fear, number one. Oh, and by the way, welcome. I see a lot of new faces here today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. As we say here many times, you're only a stranger once. We want to get acquainted with you and and get to know you. Uh, To start out with a couple stories, if I might. Uh, These are stories that if you've been in Wednesday night Bible study, or if you're part of the Valley School of Supernatural Ministry, you've probably heard some of these stories. But uh, uh, the Lord told me that it was okay to go ahead and tell the whole congregation these things. 
there's two words that I want to introduce here to begin with, vocation and avocation. A vocation is what you do to keep body and soul together. You know that maybe you're, this is your work environment. Your avocation is what you do outside your everyday work. And all of us have vocations and avocations. And in my life, the Lord made it very clear that I was called to be a teaching pastor. And I've been a teaching pastor for 53 years. Wow. Yeah, 53 years. But <laughs> hard to believe. But in that 53 years, that was my avocation, sometimes full-time, sometimes part-time, sometimes just as an elder. And then there's also vocation. And vocation is that opportunity that the Lord has given me to do a day-to-day job that may be a little different than, than uh, just preaching or teaching. And that leads us to this story. Uh, many years ago, uh, Pastor Kathy and I were living in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and uh, I was working on one of those vocations. I was in charge of the NASA TDMA satellite project until the space shuttle blew up. That was, a lot, that was probably before a lot of you were even born. And the whole space industry came to an end. And Pastor Kathy said, you know, I think it's time for us to move to Idaho. And we did. We moved to Idaho. And it was there that I said, you know, uh, Kathy, I, I don't know what I would do in Idaho other than use my professional education training and my professional technology training to be the state technology director for the State Department of Education. Well, guess what? Two years later, I'm the state director of technology for the state of Idaho, Department of Education. The Lord opened that door, and the Lord is expert at opening doors where he wants you. And after 10 years in that position, we got to see Idaho go from one of the last states to one of the top states in the nation for what we were doing. And we got, to, we got some very nice grants. The legislature was very nice to us. There were some private uh, grants that came in to us so that I was responsible for about $21 million that needed to be given out to the children in education in Idaho. Well, when you're giving that kind of money away, people start knocking on your door and knocking on your door. And I finally got to the point where I said to my administrative assistant, don't let anybody in. But one morning, bright and early, I always try to get to the office very early, uh, usually half an hour before anybody else, and that was my time to say, Lord, help us to do the job that you want us to do. Help us to be the feet, the eyes, the hands, the ears, to do your will for the best for the children of the state of Idaho. So I'm there at 7.30 in the morning, and a guy walks in, you know, because the rest of my staff wasn't there yet, and he knocks on my door, and he stands in the door. Now, i got to act this out a little bit. I looked up, and I was surprised to see him, and uh, I thought, oh, here's another one of those vendors who wants to come and, and pitch their wares. And I said, can I help you? And he started to take a step, and he couldn't go any further. I mean, he just stopped. And finally, he backed up. And he started turning red, and then he started turning purple, and then he started turning green. And I thought, oh, no, this man's going to be sick on my doorstep. But I said, what, what can I do to help you? 
And what are you here for? Knowing in my heart what I knew he was there for. And as he turned these different colors and was like, like turned to stone, he finally said, uh, I can't do it. Well, what, what can't you do? Uh, I, I, I mean, this is just the way he was acting. I came here to try to sell you something on an idea, but I can't do it. And I said, what can't you do? And he said, I can't tell a lie. Obviously, there was fear on that man. Two weeks later, another person came in who I had invited from a a very large company. If I mentioned it, you would know immediately. Very large technology company. And it was a young lady who came representing this company. And uh, I was very fortunate. My office was on the third floor of one of the state offices, and it looked out over the beautiful Boise front. And it was just a gorgeous view. And she came in, and she sat down across the desk from me. And she said, well, I'm here to talk about... I'm sorry, I I came here to talk... Is this building built on an Indian burial ground? (laughs) I said, well, strange, why would you ask that? She said, because... I feel something in this office. And I said, well, you know what it is that you feel? She said, no, I have no idea. What is it that I feel here? This this has got to be an Indian burial ground of some type. And I said, well, you're in an office that's dedicated to the service of the children of Idaho, and we believe in the power of prayer. And she began to cry. And... You know, a half hour later, we never talked about anything that she came to talk about other than her broken family, her broken marriage, her, her broken sister. And, I mean, it was, you know, fortunately, it was before the normal office hours so that I didn't feel like I was taken away from the state of Idaho, okay? All right. A couple of months later, uh, I was in uh, Texas for the National Technology Conference, And I got there a day early just to walk through and see all the booths that were being set up. And I'm walking down an aisle, and down at the end of the aisle, I see this lady setting up a booth. Now, there's nobody in this huge huge building except maybe a thousand people setting up booths. And I heard her say, Look over there! I see a man coming who made me cry! What do you do? So I walk down the aisle and everybody's looking at me like, who is that? (laughs) Later that day, I did have an opportunity to have uh, share a meal with her and share the gospel. And it was a wonderful time of transition. So when we talk about those two people, that's two different kinds of fear. And that's 
what I want to start out today telling you about, two different kinds of fear. Uh, we're not going to talk about social challenges today. We all know what our social challenges are, and they are myriad. But we're going to be talking more about how to overcome the social challenges that we're facing today, because Jesus told us that he has overcome, and so will we, if we walk in his presence. Amen? Thank you. Let's, let's give the Lord a hand clap. Praise God. Okay, I'm going to talk about two Jewish Hebrew words that I want you to, uh, to listen carefully and understand. The first one is Pashad. Pashad. Everybody say this with me. Pashad. P-A-C-H-A-D. Pashad. Easy enough to remember. Pashad. Okay. And the second one is Yira. Yira. Some people pronounce it Yaira. More Jewish pronunciation is Yaira. Can you say it just like that? Ready? One, two, three. Yaira. Okay. So Pashad and Raya. So those are two Hebrew words that are interpreted in our English language as fear. So what's the difference between these two fears? Well, I just gave you an illustration. The first person couldn't get through the door. He was scared to death. Have any of you ever been in so much fear that you felt like running? Oh, come on. Am I? All right. So that is Peshad. Peshad is the fear that makes you want to flight or run. Now, I'll give you a little bit of a definition here. Uh, I looked up in a Jewish dictionary exactly how a Jewish dictionary would describe it. The fear of projected or imagined things. The fear of projected or imagined things. It is the overreactive, irrational fear that stems from worries about what could happen, about the worst-case scenario that we imagine. Have any of you ever imagined fears where a fear has come upon you and maybe it was a fear that really wasn't necessary? It was more imagined than real? That's Peshad. In fact, anxiety is the fruit of Peshad. When we fall into anxiety, that's the fruit or the result of falling into that kind of fear. Now, let's see how good of actors you are. Pashad can be demonstrated by, ah! Anybody want to do that with me? Should we get somebody up here to do this with me? Okay, on the count of three, we're all going to do Pashad. Ready? One, two, three. Ah! Too bad they can't get that on the video. Sometimes it's real, sometimes it's imagined, and more often than not, in, in, uh, in religious circles, it's imagined. Now, Yaira. I'm going to read some definitions that I got out of the Jewish dictionary. Yaira, on the other hand, as one author put it, is the fear that overcomes us when we suddenly find ourselves in possession of considerably more energy than we are used to, or inhabiting a larger space that we're used to inhabiting. Okay, go back to the young lady that was sitting in my office. You know, she was in a space that she just wasn't used to. 
That's Yaira. Another author says, Yaira is the fear that shows up in those moments when we uncover a dream or access our real feelings about an important situation or contemplate taking a big step toward a more authentic life. Love that definition. Taking a step towards a more authentic life. So, Yaira is technically a sacred awe of God. Yaira is an awe of God. When we are in worship on Sunday mornings here, you are into the Yaira. You're in the awe of God. You're worshiping the Most High God. Now, here's another couple definitions that I thought were really impressive. It is also the feeling that we are on sacred ground or awe or reverence, being in his presence. Okay? Uh, Go with me to Proverbs. I think this is very important. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 9, 10, and 11. It's going to give us a little more definition here about, about Jaira, or Yaira. Proverbs 9, this is what it says. Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. Verse 10. The fear, and in this case, that's the Hebrew word, Yaira, what is it? Say it with me. The Yaira of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to your life. So did you know that when you're in the presence of God, you're enjoying the presence of God, you're enjoying the the Yaira, your life could just be a little bit longer. Because you're not living in anxiety, you're living in freedom, you're living in anticipation, you're free of anxiety, and you're in the presence of the Most High God. Praise God. Now, another story, um, one that I don't usually tell, but when Kathy and I were first married, we had the opportunity to go and be teaching pastors and education leaders at a very large church in Indianapolis. And after many years there, the Lord began to deal with me. You know, son, you've, you've done fine. You've done a good work here. You've done this, you've done this, you've done this. Uh, we were the heads of the education department there. Uh, Kathy and I were pastors of 52 young married couples, young married pastors as well. And the Lord began to deal with me, son, It's time to make a change. And I struggled with that. And I argued with the Lord. And, you know, I started giving different words of knowledge and and prophetic words and reading things that would just jump off the page at me. And it was the Lord all the time talking to me. Yaira in his presence. And finally, after 10 years there, I found myself on my face before the Lord. Have any of you ever been so concerned about following the will of God that you actually are on your face, on the carpet, or wherever it is, before God, 
and crying out, Oh God, oh God, oh God. And what I was doing was I was arguing with the Lord. And sometimes, you know, we, we almost get a Jonah spirit. Lord, I know you're calling me to do this, but, you know, I'm not sure I really want to do that. I call that a Jonah spirit because that's exactly what Jonah did. And I argued with the Lord. And, you know, sometimes when we argue with the Lord, we think logic is, you know, God is logical, right? I mean, he created everything. He's, yeah, God is logical, and, and uh, you know, I'm sure that he'll listen to me. He is my heavenly father, and he loves me even more than I know. And, and uh, so, so, God, don't you know? I've given my life to this church for 10 years. What is this church going to do without me? That was a little bit of Rashad there. And what I needed is some Yaira. So, you know, when you're, when you're on your face for the Lord and you're seeking an answer, and the Lord answers spirit to spirit, spirit to spirit, this is what I heard in my spirit. Are you ready for this? True confession. <clears throat> Son, this was my church before you came, and it'll be my church after you leave. And then the next sentence was, your job is to follow me. But Lord, you know, there's so many unanswered things here. You know, what what are we going to do? And I heard again the presence of the Lord say, are you here to serve me or to serve man? Are you here to serve me? Or to serve man. And then the sudden realization just washed over my spirit that, yeah, I guess, I guess I am kind of settled here and, and kind of happy here and, and feel like I'm used here. But I guess I'm doing it more for the accolades of man than God. Time is fleeting by, so I'm not going to have time to, to uh, cover everything we want to cover today. Maybe, maybe we can finish it Wednesday night in Bible study. You all come. But the miraculous thing was, we gave to the Lord and we said, Okay, Lord, we'll do it. We'll take a giant step of faith as long as we have Yirah, the presence of the Lord, the joy of the Lord, the awe of the Lord. To make a very long story short, within two months, we had moved from Indiana to Virginia. We were in a new home to us with a house full of furniture that we did not buy. It was miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Why? Because we were in Yaira. We're in the presence of the Lord. We're no longer living in fear. We're living in the joy of the Lord. So, to be in Peshad is fright. To be in Jaira is delight. Okay, we better say that again. 
to be in Peshad is fright, but to be in Yaira is delight. Praise God. From fright to delight. Being in the presence of the Lord is a delight in his presence. Okay, now let's, um, let's talk a little bit about um, Romans 8. Romans 8, 18. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The Lord wants us to walk in His Spirit, walking with Him every day. And it's amazing when you start going through a mindset change, where you stop thinking the worldly way of thinking and start thinking the heavenly way of thinking, that you begin to suddenly realize that the Lord wants to walk and talk with us every day like he did with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening, in the garden. He wants to come and sup with us on a regular daily basis. He wants us to live in his presence. He wants to be our guide. In fact, Jesus said, I have to go. I go away because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who will be your teacher, your guide, your friend, your comforter. When I think of comforter, I don't know about you. I was raised where it was very cold. And after a cold day of working outside, I loved coming in. And in those days, they had just invented the electric blanket. I loved going in after being frozen from head to toe and turning on that electric blanket and wrapping it around me. Oh, 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 that feels so good. Praise God. That's like the Holy Spirit. He wants to be your comforter. A couple things here I want to add to about the Holy Spirit to clarify and counter what the world has been trying to teach you. Remember that there are seven different major worldviews, one, one of which is Christianity. That means that there's six other worldviews out there that are vying for your attention and your soul. Six other views. So, let me say this. Here's some things for those of you that are taking notes. The Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. I see some of you writing. The Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. He will not force you, but he will woo you. He will not punish you. He'll love you. He'll not beat you down. He'll pick you up. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And the other thing I wanted to make sure that we understood is that Jesus is not the author of confusion. If you have confusion in your life, that's not from Jesus. That is from, read John 10, 10, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. So Jesus is not the author of confusion. And I really like this one. Jesus is not a manipulator. Say that again. Jesus is not a manipulator. If you feel like you're being manipulated, be very careful and say, is that from the Lord or is that someone trying to manipulate me? By the way, all advertising is manipulation. 
Many times manipulation is a spirit of exaggeration. And that's both true in the world and in the church. We have to be very careful that we do not exaggerate anything. Matthew 5.37 says this, But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than this cometh of evil. So, let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. Speak the truth. Okay, Uh, time is fleeting here, so let's jump over to credibility. Did you ever ask yourself this question? I asked this to Pastor Matthew this week. What made Jesus credible? Ooh, what made Jesus credible? What gave him credibility? What what makes you feel like Jesus is credible today in the society that we're living that has so much confusion going on? What makes Jesus credible? Well, in his days, I feel it's the same as today. When truth is spoken, your spirit knows it. You feel it in your spirit. That is truth. The other thing that's amazing about Jesus is, you know, the scripture tells us that when Jesus ministered and and people came to him for healing, the scripture says he healed them 10%. He healed them 50% of the people. No, scripture says he healed them all. Credibility. And when people were brought to him that had demons, he would cast out demons. Talk about credibility. When Matthew and I were talking about this week, we used the example of he, he came across certain people. And one of, the, one of the people that he came across that showed his great credibility was that it was the woman at the well in Samaria. That by the time Jesus had just a few short conversations with her, she ran into the city with Yaira saying, I've been in the presence of the Messiah. Come and see a man who's told me everything that I've ever done. It is the Messiah. Come and see the Messiah. Okay, that's Yaira. That's credibility. So, Jesus had the sun set still for a while. So, what keeps us from having credibility? How do, we, how do we avoid not having credibility? Well, let's follow Jesus' ideal. First of all, Jesus did not fall into Satan's diversionary tactics. Satan, after Jesus was tempted, or after he was fasted for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Jesus did not succumb to those diversionary tactics. I mean, how many of you, if somebody took you up on top of a high mountain and said, I can give you all of this, all you have to do is bow down and worship me. His words vibrated with truth. He spoke the oracles of God, not man's manipulation. He came to not do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. 
And all those 613 Jewish laws that were in effect at the time of Jesus, he said, okay, here we go. First law, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy might, and have no other gods before you. In other words, be in my jaira. Be in my presence. Be in my promise. Be where there's no anxiety. Be where there's no fear. Be where there is ultimate love. Be in my yaira. And the second, oh, and this, this is what was so upsetting. The second is likened to the first, but love thy neighbor as yourself. Okay, let me see if I got this straight. <clears throat> Lord, we've been watching for a Messiah. We've been dealing with 613 Jewish laws. And you come along and you tell us that all I have to do is be concerned about living in your presence. And as I do that, love my neighbor and bring him into the presence as well. It's that simple? Yes, it's that simple. Praise God. Well, Luke 9.54, Luke 9.54 It's a little bit of a humorous peek into what was going on then. They had, uh, you know, Jesus had sent them out by twos, and they came back, and they said, isn't it amazing that even the demons pay attention to the preaching of the name of Jesus? And then they were in, here we go, back in, in Samaria, where the Gentiles are, and... This is Luke 9.54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, that, that, that particular area of where they were at was not responding to the gospel, notice what these two disciples said. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Do you see the irony there? You know, I I like to put myself into those scenes wherever possible. And, you know, I don't know if Jesus ever did this. But if I was Jesus, I'd be tempted to go, Have I been so long with you? In fact, he did say that later to his disciples. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay. Okay. And then to end that, in verse 55, he says, He turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. When we fall into pleasing man rather than God, we fall into that spirit of, Well, let's live by the 613 Jewish laws. And therefore, the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't understand who Jesus really was. That he came to establish repentance and grace. Repentance and grace. Let's uh, quickly, let's quickly go to uh, Galatians chapter 5, Linda. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to read verses 16 and 17. This is what Paul said to the Galatians that describes this whole thing of fear and credibility. 
Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit. Would you say that with me? Walk in the Spirit. Ready? Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Now, let's go to 519. In, in uh, 519 through 21, Paul lists some things that evidently, if you do these things, you're not walking in the Spirit, and you will not be entering in the kingdom of God. Let's read these very quickly. 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions... What? Who put that in there? I never saw that before. Pastor Matthew, did you put this, did you put this in my Bible? Dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, I've heard all that before, but selfish ambitions? Mm-hmm. read on. Verse 22. This is where true credibility comes from. Are you ready? Here's your definition of true credibility. Verse 22. And when I get to verse 22, I have to use my prophetic voice. Are you ready? Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Why in that voice? Because that is emphatic fruits of the Spirit when you live in Yaira, in the presence of God. And then he goes on to say, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, If we live in the Spirit, let us also, what? Walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And and it goes on. Now, because we're almost out of time, I'm going to have to skip this whole section on Jonah. Show up Wednesday night and we'll finish it. If we can't get into the room, we'll be out here. Okay, so I want to quickly talk about, in the time that we have left here, very quickly, Jonah, selfish ambition, ran away from the will of God. It's an, it's an amazing story that, okay, I'll go into it Wednesday night. But the ultimate result here of the story of Jonah is that Jonah missed what Jesus was doing in the Old Testament. And that is, Nineveh was a Gentile nation, and God told a Jewish prophet to go and prophesy to a Gentile nation, and he refused to do it. So, let's bring that down to today. As I already said, there's seven different worldviews out there. 
contending for your child's worldview. They are being propagated at the university level. Several years ago, when, when Kathy and I were living in Washington, D.C., uh, rebuilding the nation's largest charter school system, I was invited to the hall in New York City, Harvard Club in New York City. I'd never been to Harvard Club in New York City. Uh, took the fast train there, walked down the street, walked into the Harvard Club, and I go, wow, this is an amazing place. Everything hand-carved woodwork, bookshelves three stories high, just hand-carved chairs, and, and, you know, they talk about that some of our nation's leaders used to sit in the Harvard Club and, and talk about great things. And, and I was there to, to, to help plan some, uh, some things. I had just been appointed to the uh, a National Council on uh, rebuilding uh, the educational system for America. Only two of the states that were represented there, and Idaho was one of them. But when I went into the Harvard Club, they introduced me to a, a man who was a president of a university. And he was very braggadocious about the fact that he had just written a book. And he wanted me to have a copy of the book. And I said, quite frankly, you know, that's, that's fine. Uh, I believe, you know, that this is your work. And the name of the book was Teach Them to Ask Questions. Question everything. Everything. Okay, well, if you're going to question everything, then I pray that you'll come across somebody who has some credibility, who lives in Yaira. Let me say that again. If you're going to question everything, I pray that you run across someone who operates in an atmosphere of Yaira, in the awe of God, who has the desire to see you get your questions answered through the Holy Spirit's leading. And that's one of the things that we teach very strongly here at the Valley School of Supernatural Ministry, and that is that you ask the Lord to give you words of knowledge when you're talking to someone. You know, the young people today are tired of being manipulated, but they'll listen to truth and reality that touches them here in their spirit. I'm going to read you a, a quote here from Jeffrey Kent, who's a pastor and a sociology major. He describes what a lot of the generation that's from 10 to 25 today are going through. He says it this way. The worldly philosophy that today's Generation Z are being presented, and it's not just universities, it's the media and everything else. This is how Generation Zs tend to look at their worldview. The goal of my life is not to adhere to a set of predefined rules, but to define my own rules in a way that you can feel good about yourself and myself. There's an old word that describes that. It's called existentialism. You're okay, I'm okay. 
And that is a philosophy that has really gripped a lot of our young people today. And then he goes on and says, any form of morality must not impede upon another's beliefs. Any form of morality must not impede upon another's beliefs. In other words, you believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, but you can't tell me about your beliefs. You know, be very careful, because if you start telling me about your beliefs, then I feel like I'm manipulated. Yeah, but you just told me about your beliefs, and you were trying to manipulate me. And then one more line. They are wary of asserting anyone's life choices as objectively wrong. They are wary of asserting anyone's life choices as objectively wrong. In other words, everything is okay. If you go back in the Old Testament, at the time of Nimrod, you know, they were building a tower to its heaven. By the way, there are some people who say that Nimrod's descendants are the ones who's, who's, uh, came along and developed Nineveh, who, which was the largest city in the world at that time that the story takes place. But anyway, to conclude, because we're almost out of time now, I want your hearts to go with mine right now as we pray. Lord, as a nation, we need to be like Nineveh and repent. Lord, today as a nation, we repent of our selfish ambitions. Lord, we repent of not looking to you first as the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, we repent of not desiring to be friends of God. Lord, we repent of fearing man more than God. And now, we as individuals, Lord, we repent, we repent, we repent. And we ask, Lord, that your grace would fall upon us. Lord, give us grace, give us grace, give us grace. And first of all, if I may, I'm going to try to impart the same thing that we do to our VSSM students. Those of you that wish to have eyes to see, and ears to hear. Open your hearts right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray, Lord, that everyone that is in this congregation today will see others through the eyes of Christ. That we will see others as, to, as how you see them. That you do not look on outwardly appearance. You look at the inward person. Lord, help us to look at the inward people. The inward person and see them as you see them, Jesus. And help us to take them out of Peshad into Yaira, the presence of the Lord. Lord, we pray right now for every member in this congregation that they will be able to walk in miracles, that they'll be able to talk the oracles of God, that they will no longer fear man but live in the joy and the awesomeness of our Heavenly Father. 
Now, if you want that, would you just raise your hands right now and praise him and thank him? All over this audience right now, just raise your hands and thank him. Dear Lord, dear Lord, we accept this impartation that we can see everyone through the eyes of Christ. And that we will no longer live in anxiety. We'll no longer live in fright. We'll no longer live in flight. But we will live in Yaira, the presence of the King that brings us awesome joy. Lord, may the joy of the Lord fall upon this congregation right now. Raise your voices and praise Him right now. Raise your voices and praise Him. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Would you stand with me here? If you fall in one of these two categories, I ask the prayer team to go ahead and come up. If you fall into one of these two categories, the prayer team is here to pray with you. This pastor is here that will also be available to chat with you if you want. If you fall into one of these two categories, the first category is, Pastor Rich, I'm living in Pashad. I'm living in fear, but I want to get rid of that fear. I want to move into the Riyaira. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, and you want to come into His presence and live in His presence and be in His presence and experience that joy that we've been talking about today, we welcome you to come to the altar and meet with any of the prayer team. If you're in the second group where you've been a Christian probably all of your life and you've, been, you've heard the prayer today, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us as a nation and forgive me personally. Forgive me personally, Lord. That I knew that I didn't have to live in confusion. And you want to, you want to have a whole new level of Yaira with Jesus we've just prayed over you that you will be able to see people the way that Jesus sees them but if you want a renewal and an upgrade in the spirit you can also come to the altar and these people will pray with you praise God praise God but I don't want us to leave until once more we give God the glory he deserves He occupies the prayers of the saints. Would you raise your hands with me right now all across this audience? Dear Jesus, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll be that comforter right now and surround each and every person in this congregation. 